Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is Aid, uh, your host as always, and you are listening to show number 49. Uh, this is a little bit of a departure for us. Uh, it's the first show that we've done that has no Graham. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. There's no Graham. So I'm a little bit excited because we've got somebody that is going to make the show zing uh, to join me today. And I'm also a little bit worried because I've never done it without my buddy before. Who's going to hold my hand? I am hoping that it is my co-host for today. Uh, She's been a guest on the show before. Uh, You may know her as Little Vintage Photography. It is, of course, Rachel Brewster. Hey, Rachel, how are you doing? Hi there. Um, I'm good. Uh, not too bad, thanks. And uh, it, this is obviously quite new for me too. So uh, it's lovely to be here though and uh, stepping in for Graham just for uh, for the occasion. So hi. Well, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, what have you been up to recently? So uh, there's been quite a lot going on. Obviously, uh, we had Worldwide um, Pinhole Photography Day. So uh, I did my Pinhole to Pinterest workshop um, for that. And that was a lot of fun I really really enjoyed that I had um had some excellent photographers come along to that people who'd already who were already working in digital photography but who decided that actually they wanted to um get back to basics really get back to a bit of analog um and uh, and it was great because they'd actually come and done a workshop with me previously um and had enjoyed it so much which is really nice that they came back and, and did a second one um so um I'd, uh, I'd adjusted it slightly. I'd looked at obviously what we covered before, um, and I thought, well, this time we were going to um, be covering obviously more pit, more pinhole, uh, but adding in a, a little bit of uh, playtime with the TLR that they'd not really done before, and uh, and using the Ondo, using Winston, my uh, my rolly uh, cord, and what have you. So that was great. Um, also used the the old Ilford uh, Obscura. Um, got that uh, got that in the dark bag just about because uh, it's quite actually it's quite a beefy camera um, that, that's that the five by four one isn't it yes, it is yeah. yeah so we were doing some paper negatives um and i got them out shooting obviously on um, a bit of medium format a bit of uh, 120 uh, and a bit of 35 so i wanted to mix it up really um then we hand processed obviously uh, all of those um and uh, you should have seen their faces it was absolutely wonderful it really was and uh, i think it got a little bit emotional actually for, for one of them they were saying that this is something they wanted to do all their life and they just hadn't quite ticked that box yet. So uh, it was it was a really lovely experience, actually. Um, and uh, we decided that we were going to um, build some, obviously, ourselves. Of course, you have to, you know, it's um, <laughs> photography day. Um, so uh, we, we <laughs> I decided, you know, after, after um, Graham's challenge was thrown down, that uh, it was going to be the wackiest of, uh, of cameras made out of something and uh and i thought yes well i'll go for a uh, i wasn't going to go for a roast duck because i'm also vegetarian um <laughs> so, uh, i was like right a, a fruit or vegetable and a friend of mine had come round with a coconut <laughs> oh that's an awesome idea <laughs> A few a few weeks previously uh and a nice bottle of rum and <laughs> And she said, this is how you drink coconut. Okay, because she's from Dominica. So she said, this is what we have. They're called young coconuts. They're not like the sort of like brown furry ones that I grew up with in the 80s, you know, that we used to get. And your dad used to drill in the kitchen. and all sorts of- <laughs> um, Or maybe that was just me. I don't know. No, 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 no. I know what you're talking about. Definitely. 
so these ones these ones look a bit different and they're they're kind of like white with a sort of like peak at the top uh, and when she brought it around with a nice bottle of rum and then and sort of like hacked the tap the top off and then we all drank the coconut and then you eat the bit out the middle um and obviously you put the rum in as well because that makes it taste really nice um and uh, and you sort of like share it as a nice drink so <laughs> unsurprisingly i was like oh i can make a great camera out of this <laughs> <laughs> This was a few weeks ago. This had been on my mind since then. Um, so I thought I'd uh, I'd buy one for the workshop. So uh, they were, shall we say, rather surprised when I walked in and was like, "Here's this is going to be a camera. <laughs> um, but first of all, I need to chop the top off somehow um uh, so that was interesting in the in the kitchen with uh, with some blunt knives i probably did not do that in the best way anyway did manage to get a hole um cut out the top and then drank out of it and uh, i need to still process the um the paper negative out of that so i can't actually give you a, a rundown of how it came out yet because that's still in the dark room in the box waiting to go in um because we just sort of simply ran out of time um, um, but we did make they did make one out of an old perfume bottle and out of an old takeaway tray. <laughs> it didn't have noodles still in it or anything. Um, but they did put one out of the takeaway tray, and that was really good actually. And they were so chuffed with how they came out. It was brilliant. That sounds, yeah, that that sounds awesome. I mean, it's you know, uh, I'm intrigued. The takeaway trays we get around here are made of see-through plastics. So I'm guessing you've got uh, the the traditional foil kind or something like that. Have you? Old school style, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went and picked a few up and thought, I'll give it a go. Let's see, let's see how we get on. And actually, um, the nice thing is they're the perfect size for the four by five Ilford paper. Brilliant. All oh, right, excellent. Um, they fit really nicely in the back of the Ilford Obscura. You know, the their pinhole one that they obviously um, sell. Uh, but actually, the takeaway tray that I that I bought from Home Bargains, like a whole. Um, pack of them um it fits really nice it's it's basically like four by five so a bit of double-sided tape and you can stick it to the to the um uh the paper quite well and then you obviously just gaffer tape the hell out of it <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know of any healthy food options that make good pinhole cameras because we've had justin on talking about beer cans and now we've got you talking about takeaway trays it seems to me that this pinhole photography malarkey is a bit of an unhealthy hobby <laughs> an excuse to eat nice things and drink nice things i think um i thought my coconut was quite good um yeah, you did fill uh, it with rum oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um do you know i did actually buy red pepper as well because i had originally thought oh that that would be a good one and then obviously graham did his green pepper um so i did buy a red pepper um with the the intention of of making that into one as well and i didn't get around to it it got eaten in a stir fry unfortunately <laughs> So I didn't actually make it in the end. But I will buy another one at some point soon and I'll give it a go. Um, But yes. It sounds like you've been pretty busy. Um, Yeah, and we were talking a little before we hit the record button and I've been all around the place this week as well uh, and still still plenty of places to go all around the country this week. So it's, uh, you know, it's nice actually to sit here. I'm sat here, you know, listening to what other people have been doing or what you've been doing in the first place. But and, and I've got my traditional podcasting whiskey beside me um, and you've got your cup of tea. So you really are channeling your inner, inner Graham if you've got a cup of tea with you. <laughs> I have, I have, yes. And my favourite comes everywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good that you've been doing a, a bunch of printing in your workshops recently because that's the first topic up for us today. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to take take advantage of the, of the opportunity to talk to you about this because I know you do a lot of printing 
uh, as you go around and you do your workshops or your, your your professional life. You do a lot of printing, all sorts of different kinds. So uh, it's something that I need to do more of. Mm-hmm. And I just never seem to find the time for. So, yeah, I I have, uh, well, I have, I guess, two two walls in my house that are dedicated to photography. One is, is full of portraits uh, of family from all the generations and different ages and what have you. And that's a lovely family thing. And then there's another wall which I treat more for my travel photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, put holiday photos. But, but you know, the, what I decide to be the better of our, our travel photographs. But I, I I don't know. I um I just wanted to talk to you about op- options for printing as much and 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 how to get to print more, uh, which I know is a self-disciplined thing really. But I tend to you know uh, eventually when I get round to printing, it's it's for me it's mostly a process of of uploading a file to the internet and then receiving something back in the post. You know, it's it's uh, I don't often print just sort of normal photographs. It's usually something that's printed on a um what are these these um, aluminium substrate things that you get that come ready to hang on the wall or yeah. or something like that just to give it a little bit a little bit of uh pizzazz um but it seems to me that i could be doing a lot more about that so you know i mean you you mentioned you know your your workshop participants love it and and stuff like that do you do you do much yourself personally to, to be totally honest, Aid, it comes down to time again, doesn't it? And with with the trying to print for yourself personally, uh, I don't know, you always end up at the bottom of the list, really, don't you? And it's a real shame. It really is. Um, I think the the reason I, I end up doing quite a lot of cyanotype work is because that is so quick and, and you don't have to worry about, obviously, um, having your dark room necessarily set up for that so uh, as long as you've got somewhere you can keep the the chemicals until till you're ready with that that's quite easy to just sort of let's slap that on we'll, we'll go outside we'll um or, or put it under the little lamp and you're done basically um and uh yeah in terms of printing i was i was just um interested because obviously for yourself you i know that you don't really do the darkroom side of things so I was like oh well this this is maybe a new you know a foray into into that area for you eh? which is quite exciting is that what you're thinking um that you'd like to do more of that uh, actually with the enlarger and in the dark room yourself and that kind of thing I, th- I think I, I would I've, I've said for for a little while I mean don't forget you know, here I am talking about you know um lazy ambition here right <laughs> if that even makes any sense as a, as a choice of words you know i would love to do this stuff but you know it, i mean beyond the time it's just getting around to sorting it out but yeah i mean I, I i think i've often said and i may have said it on the podcast before that i am more interested in the darkroom printing side of uh sorry the printing side of darkroom rather than the developing side of darkroom right. So rather than getting tangled up with the spools and trying to get the the negatives on, you're not. That's not really your bag. It's more the yeah. Okay, it's more. Well, the it, yeah, it doesn't feel particularly creative to, to me. I mean, I know there are. Yeah, you can be creative in in the chemicals you use and the type of you know the type of development process you use. Whether you're going to do it sort of longer standing you know, development or whether you're doing quick stuff. Um, so I get that there are creative choices you can make, but the process itself doesn't feel particularly crafty to me. It feels more technical. Yeah. Is that? Is is that right? 
Yes, I, I mean, yes, I, I see what you're saying with that. And it is, it's a process. It's very much a process. It's you're getting from A to B to, to basically make the, these negatives usable and in what have you, in whatever way. Um, and as you say, when you're getting into actually putting it into the enlarger or doing contact prints or whatever you want to do, that's where you can be more creative, the more craft side of things can come through definitely um actually um uh, we didn't get a chance to chat before but um i went along to hardman's house this week uh, on on friday um hardman and uh, uh burrell and hardman were um a pair of photographers through the sort of 20s 30s 40s 50s and it's actually a national trust property now in liverpool okay. um and basically his whole photographic studio him and his wife margaret um it's just been left literally as is so it's absolutely wonderful you know for in terms of analog and obviously anybody who's interested in analog photography should definitely make the trip to go and, and see it at some point in their life it's been it's been on my list for so long and uh, and hadn't had a chance to go so i'm really chuffed that i actually got around to going um and uh, it's just wonderful seeing the old studio with all these crazy lights set up i mean we're talking he he obviously sort of was of the similar ethos to myself which is you can't leave something if it looks like it needs saving and rescuing you end up with all this hoarding these things don't you because you go no nah, i can't leave those i don't know enormous theater lights just in the skip they're gonna have to be rescued so we'd obviously taken these crazy theater lights with this huge sort of fuse box of like 14 different dimmers on it and there's it's absolutely condemned now <laughs> there's no way touch it um but it's it's amazing to to see it um like actually there you know uh, in the spaces that he would have used and that they would have used um and uh just they've literally you know they've got um in the kitchen it's they didn't really care so much about the living side of things it was just photography to photography you know that was that was their life and and everything that they loved but um but yeah it's lovely to to go and see the printing side of things and where you'd have the colorists and uh, and what have you as well and and how they would make all that work so it's absolutely fascinating yeah that that, that does sound fascinating yeah i can't, i'd love to have a space like that i don't have a yeah i don't have a space like that in my house where i can just collect old junk that i like uh, and and you know and uh make turn it into a creative space which, which is, is is a shame really but uh i know if i did have a space like that, that then then my my young children would probably drink the chemicals or something <laughs> like that it's like i just end up you know getting into trouble so i've just had an idea right as you've been talking and 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 thinking about this you mentioned contact prints right so i've just done for 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 pinhole photography day i borrowed graham's ondo which shoots a six by twelve negative. Oh, right. okay. Oh, I like I like that ratio. You like that ratio as well, don't oh, you? Oh, I love yeah, a two to one ratio. I absolutely love <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, it's absolutely. phenomenal. I even crop my thirty five mil photographs to that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yep i do definitely um i did i did some for sorry to interrupt sorry um no go I, for it no it's all right i was just thinking about um i did i did a series of prints for middleport pottery which was a um uh it's an old pottery that had started to go sort of become derelict and what have you and the prince regeneration trust and a few other um parties put in some money and, and actually kind of like brought it back to life and it it uh, originally opened its doors in 1888, I think, and it continued working all the way through. Um, but their workforce had obviously dwindled down and ended up in this tiny little two rooms, maybe, of this enormous factory. So 
um, the pottery had asked me to come along and actually shoot some of the rooms as they were opening them up and it was absolutely amazing there's just like dust flying out and uh, everything's completely covered with all the old dust and what have you but the prints that I did um they were from 35 they were 35 mil I actually shot them just on my Pentax S1A um with a nice little 50 mil lens on that and um and I I cropped those as a two to one ratio um all six of them so I had three landscape um alignment and then three portrait and they were just of things like the old pottery shelves you know the beautiful old piece of wood the old chairs that have been abandoned and that kind of thing and they're just so atmospheric and I think that um ratio worked really well for those those images so sorry to interrupt but yeah it just uh, made me think about that as well no I, I mean that, that that sounds awesome yeah so the, so the idea that I've had and this may be may uh, may or may not work but you'd know more about it than I would so if I'm going to get back in the post soon from the lab uh, a couple of rolls of 120 each with uh, 6 by 12 negatives on them so so what's that that's going to be 12 photographs isn't it that I've shot with this on do camera um, yeah. and they're all going to be 6 by 12 how would I is contact printing a good place to start with printing it's quite a nice, quick, easy way to see what you've got. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much a give it a go and see what works. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm not I'm not born for a like a definitive answer because for me, photography and especially darkroom stuff, and like you say, that's what you're interested in is the experimenting, isn't it? It's the craft. It's the have a go with this and see what works. So, uh, so yeah, I think that that could definitely be a, play, be a place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so uh, given that I've never done this before and may, maybe some of our listeners are, are curious about it, I'm, I'm guessing I need to start with some way, uh, some some paper of some sort um, that's photographically sensitive, light sensitive paper, photographic paper, and I need some way of projecting light through the negative onto yeah. the paper. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes, um, as like a a white light, basically. I, I did this in a in a barn in the late district. Okay, so you can do it anywhere. It was literally <laughs> two pieces of. It, it was that I took my five by four paper negative. Um, and a, a piece of um, fresh fresh paper, uh, photographic paper, literally had somebody else stand by the light and I held it up to the ceiling and was like, okay, switch the light on, switch the light off and then pro- put it in the developer. And, and basically I got a print. So, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So if I could do that, I'm sure you'd be all right with the, with that um, aid. Yeah. Give it a whirl. A uh, bit of white light. Get yourself some, maybe maybe start with some um of the Ilford pre-cut paper you know you can uh, you can get that online easily enough and I know that there's plenty of places sort of around London way that that you might be able to get to when uh, you say pre-cut do you mean to a specific size that's not like a f- four yeah. by five or something just, yeah I mean just so that you're not wasting a load of paper basically um right. you know, if, you, if you're doing it contact print from from that size because obviously that's the size that it will come out <laughs> yeah 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 yes yes uh, so you don't want to end up um, wasting a lot of paper, you know. Um, so I was just thinking, if you can get something that that is just a bit bigger than what you need, makes sense rather than spending a lot of money on, you know, ten by eight and what have you. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Large pieces, um, and yeah, um, some white light. Give it, give it a blast, and and have a go and see see what comes out. I'm very excited to see to uh, to see what you come out with. And then do that. I then do I get some do it, some fixer to stop it from 
the, to, to fix the paper. Yes, that's right. Yes. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, develop, stop, fix. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. All right. So I could, yeah, I could, I, I might even be able to do that. What is it that when Graham say it, is it sounds, says it, it sounds thoroughly unappealing. <laughs> Um, do you know what was interesting? So just going back to uh, Harvard, um, Harvard's house, actually, and um, what was really interesting with that was that they did it as a specific photographer's tour. And uh, one of the sort of you know first things that they came up with was, um, do you think if if he'd been around when Photoshop was around, he would have used it? And the guy was like, absolutely, he totally would have yeah. done. Because this is what, you know, this was the tool at the time. So we're using the tool that was used at the time. And uh, he was making doubled negatives. He was obviously using, um, um, you know, his dodging and burning techniques. He was he was painting it on with um, the particular red ionizing fluid, I think it was. All, all sorts of different masking techniques and things that you can get um, that they used to use um, to kind of bring down whites that are in certain parts that you don't want your eye to be drawn to like there's a, a famous shot that he did where you've got the arc royal in the background and there's a little boy walking down the street um and the arc royal is like bright white because they painted it with this undercoat so you kind of just want to see that really but one of the houses is sort of in, in more in the foreground and so he didn't want that to be seen as much so there's a way of obviously dodging and burning in order to get rid of that yeah. so it's interesting to see how yeah if if they'd have had photoshop at the time he totally would have used it you know that, that's what we do that's why we use it isn't it oh yeah i don't see i don't i don't think any of these historically relevant photographers would have used uh, yeah they were pioneers weren't they of course they'd use really? the best tools they could get their hands on yeah yeah okay all right well thank you very much for uh yeah you you might you might be the one that inspires me to go and do some printing i don't know <laughs> can't wait it's very exciting it's, i'm really looking forward to seeing it and that sounds fab <clears throat> cool. i'm sure i'm sure some of the listeners will have um other thoughts and uh other things that they could perhaps write into um to you guys to tell you a little bit more about their um successes and failures and things you know what's worked and what's not worked yeah that that would be good actually we don't talk enough about printing um so yes a good good idea uh so listeners yes uh do what rach says yeah <laughs> <laughs> right in uh, sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com uh, is the is the best way to share those kind of stories with us um, we'll come back to some uh, emails I in a bit actually um, right now we're going to have a, a quick break and then we're going to uh, talk about composition okay okay Right, so our second topic today goes, uh, you know, takes us back from printing, which I guess in some ways is the end of the photographic process, right, right the way back to the to the very beginning. Well, maybe not the very beginning. We're not going to talk about pre-production <laughs> and concepts and and mood boards and things like that, but we are going to talk a little bit about composition. So, uh, yeah, this again, uh, Rachel is, you know, I'm keen to understand something about your own personal process uh, and as well as you know what what you teach. Um, but it just occurred to me, I was thinking about this the other day uh, about uh, you know, how I shoot portraits, because as you, you know from listening to the podcast and talking before, you know, portraiture is, is really my, my favourite kind of photography. Um, and you know, I was just thinking, well, how do I, how do, I do that? And, and is, there, is there a process that I have? What do I think of? What do I look for? 
And uh, I think there is actually. I don't think it's you know uh, anything particularly rocket sciencey. Although you know, feedback from the listeners might tell me that. <laughs> so I figured uh, if uh, if I talk about that a little bit, and then uh, maybe that has some similarities with what how how you shoot, um, and uh, we'll see see what we learn and and compare notes. What do you reckon? That sounds lovely. Yes. Cool. Okay. So here's the thing, right? I I look for in my shots and it's, this is not just uh, portraiture this is a lot of, of my photography actually the first thing i look for is light it's absolutely the first thing and and maybe that's because i have such a fascination with artificial light and making and making light and making light right but it, mm. it is really light that catches my eye uh before anything else before setting on a subject, before anything else. You know, so especially when I'm walking around with the camera, it's like, yeah, the first thing that catches my eye is, oh, there's some light. I must find a way of capturing that light. Can I ask, um, do you have a preference in terms of the quality of light, as in hard light or soft light diffused? Or, you know, is there something that you're more drawn to or that you kind of go, oh, actually, that would be a challenge for me? Yeah, good question. Um, I tell when when I'm shooting sort of my my more sort of urban street type photography, uh, it tends to be harsh light I look for. Mm. Um, I yeah you know, I I don't even bother when it's cloudy and the you know and stuff like that. I tend to look for quite harsh light, quite you know um, quite sharp shadows. And often yeah. what I'm capturing is is something in the light, but very deliberately let the shadows just stay completely black. Mm. um you know something like that so it's uh and that could be uh light on a building or, or light on a person or group of people or a, you know a tree that happens to be getting some light while everything around it is in shade or whatever it might be but i, I think that that's one of the things that attracts me in in that kind of photography genre i think if, it, if it's portraits it's a bit of both really depending on how i feel um you know i am I'm a sucker for a real proper north light, you know, where it is all so soft mm. and it wraps around the person's face and, and things like that. I did where, when we were in Scotland a few weeks ago, I, I just took a snapshot of my son. He was just sitting on a, on a bed in this place we were staying, sitting on a bed, reading a book. But he happened to have he sat near quite a big window and the light was just awesome. And that photograph mm. is now my phone background screen oh, okay. of the moment. Yeah, it's just that moment, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's really interesting with you saying that that the light is literally it's it's another character, isn't it? I think um, it, it's it's not just about the person, especially if it's portraiture. Um, you kind of see that as that is entirely something separate to bring into that photograph in terms of the composition as well. It's like actually, how do I deal with this other person <laughs> for for want of a better word? You know, yeah. this other character. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, the subject uh, is often the third thing I think about, mm -hmm. uh, especially if I'm not in control of exactly the the setup of uh, of the photo. If it's especially sort of out and about, or whether it's a, a spontaneous photograph, um, actually the background is what I'll look at before the subject. So it's like background and then subject. Ah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because a portrait, you can take take the best photo of somebody in the world, but if they've got a tree coming out the top of their head. <laughs> you know or or something else it's going to spoil it so i you know i've trained myself a little bit to look at the background first so i end up with a process that is part creative it starts very creatively and then it sort of gets i guess progressively more technical 
So I end up with a process that goes light, background, subject, and then we and then it's then it's tidying up and housekeeping. So after that, it's what's in the corners, uh, and then after that, it's it's timing, especially when you're out and about. So you know, keeping an eye on what's happening around you, uh, whether you've spotted an opportunity and you've got to wait for the for a person or you know to to walk into the right spot in the right way or something like that. Uh, and after all, when all of those things you know come together, then I'll I'll take the photograph. At least that's the film process. The digital f- process is just a little bit more spray and pray, which is why I don't <laughs> shoot digital very often. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet you're about to say you just spray and pray. <laughs> no, I try. I really do try with digital, but I, and I don't know whether this resonates with you or, or and or a lot of our listeners, but I cannot bring myself to have the same discipline with digital photography as I do with film. Uh, I I totally feel you with that age. Yeah, it's 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 awful, isn't it? Really, but I don't know. I suppose for me, I see them as two. I do see them as two separate things. I see it as my digital sketchbook, for want of a better better word. You know, it's uh, I'll take my phone out and go, just snap away on that. Oh yeah, right. That's a nice piece of light, or that's a nice composition, or there's something that's caught my eye in that moment. Then I'll t- then I'll go home. I'll think about it. I'll look at the cameras that I've got and go, which is the right one for the job, and take that back out and go and get the shots. You know, obviously, we're not talking about events or one-off things that aren't going to come again. But for for those opportunities where it might be, uh, you know, a really nice plant against a particular wall or something like that, where you have got that opportunity, I might snap it on my phone or on my digital camera and then go back with my film camera and and get that shot as actually what i want it to be to craft it to kind of make it as a as a photograph that's yeah. impressive that's impressive i have a sort of version of that which is because i do my commute walking every day through london um i do have places where i deliberately you know, i see something and i think do you know what the light's not right today but i'll be walking past here tomorrow yeah. you know uh it could be because the light's wrong or because the tide is too high or the tide is too low on the river or whatever it might be um you know uh, i'll come back and do it properly um I, I think we're always sort of banking these little bits of information away and i think that's what that is kind of what makes you a better photographer isn't it you know it might not be the, even the right season for it and i suppose shooting film as well going slightly off the point here i suppose but shooting film as well in general it slows you down so i think it gives you a slightly different mindset to say okay the light's not right today like you say on your commute i might come back in two weeks and it'll be oh you know the shadows will be longer or that's that's the look i'm after especially if you're after the harsh light you know going for um winter you know that kind of thing that might be it might mean a case of waiting a few months to get that perfect yeah, shot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. So, so what sort of what sort of thing catches your eye? If it's light that catches my eye, what is it that catches your eye often? Then, um, I mean, I guess it's it's so split second, isn't it? That that light thing. You go, yeah, this this is going to be a beautiful image, or this is a place where I can bring somebody to to get that portrait that I'm after. You know, that that window. I know that window in my mind, or I know that doorway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose in that sense it's settings it's backgrounds and things as well um uh, i suppose in terms of um the composition process you sound like you have very much uh, a formula for how you do it even if it's one that you're so well versed in that you don't even think about it now you kind of just go light background subject corners timing <laughs> you know <laughs> just it, it happens so naturally for you that that that's how you're able to shoot so 
um, so prolifically, you know, you're able to go and get those shots. And it might just be a case of waiting those few weeks for the right lighting, but you'll know where to go back to. And that's your process each time. Um, I suppose the, the danger with it is that we can become a bit too comfortable with it, can't we? If we have this process all the time in terms of this is how we compose and this is what we look for, um, then maybe we're missing other things. So it's trying to keep an open mind about that as well and not get too um, sort of stuck in, oh, yes, that what that's what makes a great image, you know? Me. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, because I, I lost the last round of the cheap shots challenge to Graham, <laughs> um, to a photograph that you could barely even see what it was, <laughs> because uh, yeah, or or no, no, no yeah, the uh, have a sore spot here. <laughs> no, no, but, but you're right. So you're you're talking about. I guess the the point is maybe I do have subconsciously. I don't I don't really think about the the process. So maybe you're right. Maybe it, it is a subconscious thing. I do I do consciously think about the light and the background, and then I try and position myself my subject in a sympathetic way or or the way in a way to achieve the effect I'm after within that light and that background. Do I do the more technical stuff? Well, no, not all the time, but maybe it is a bit. Yeah, because, you know, um, I, one of the things I had to when I was uh, using the Holgers a lot last year, I, I found it at first really hard to let go, you know, and just shoot it and, and forget about it. You know, it's like, no, well, that's not right, is it? Because how do I know whether it's going to come out or not? And, and you know, what is it? What's the exposure going to be like? And it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be what I want it to be. And, and it took me a little while to, to relax into shooting the Holgers. It feels like you have embraced that now, though. And I suppose that's, that's a challenge. That is outside of your comfort zone. So you've been really brave, actually, in taking that step to go, actually this is a camera I want to persevere with and I'm going to make it work for me you know um I, I guess there's a point where you go it's balancing it isn't it and saying is this is this a camera that can work for me or is this a camera that actually I I don't enjoy the way that it operates to such an extent that it's actually putting me off using it and therefore not taking the photograph as well um so I think there is a there's a balancing act there um and and I'm not saying that having a formula for how you compose things is a bad thing at all because it means that you're you know quite consistently that if I follow this process that I'm going to get better and I'm going to be able to create images that I like more of and I'm going to get more of those shots and especially on film obviously you want to make sure your hit rate is higher don't you so um so I think that's that's absolutely admirable it's just something that I think I became uh, aware of and thinking oh yeah you know when I look look at shots that I've done in the past I, I realized there was a point and I, I probably still do this all the time but um they all seem to be you know somebody off center to the left for some for whatever reason <laughs> on a on a third is it is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know it was literally i was like god you know could i get more predictable g g gazing <laughs> wistfully to the right yeah <laughs> you know here's our band cover photo shot kind of thing you know but um it's it's difficult, isn't it? Trying to not fall too much into those cliches, but also knowing that there's a reason that some of these shots work. You know, um, there's a yeah. Reason. It's like that old saying, isn't it? You have to learn the rules before you break the rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a a, yeah. I, do, I end. I end. I, I end up doing things like that. So I think everybody does, don't they? That's why. That's why um, not being afraid to do the old two to one crop helps. Because you get yeah, you, if it comes out, yeah, you know, it comes back from the lab, and you, and you're not keen on the 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 I guess the geometry of it, um, of the composition, you can always crop it to get it right. 
and cut all that rubbish out <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah. Why, so, yeah, so you get it back you crop it to what you want it to be you photoshop out all the bits you don't like and then you send it off to a digital printer isn't that the whole thing we're supposed to do <laughs> yes why not <laughs> that's <laughs> well, very gracious of you to agree with that is it? <laughs> I think people, sometimes you can get a little bit pre- too precious we all do it don't we you know there's there's something that we've worked so hard for and it's taken us months to get this shot and we absolutely love it and and you know if you love it then print it however whatever shape and size and whatever you you like about it um I'm very much up for that but um but in general yeah I guess I think I can get too precious about things and think oh no that that was how I wanted that's how I saw it that's how I wanted it to be and then then that's when you can get frustrated so it is a little bit like just let go give it a go and and try and you might be pleasantly surprised by a few things or it might open up a few other new ideas for you yeah, yeah, well, I'm hoping this pinhole stuff that I'm just about to get back is going to do that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward, really looking forward to, to the results of that. So tell me, you know, does this change, does your view change or does your approach change when you shoot weddings? Um, in terms of composition? Uh, uh, yeah, yes, I suppose, or I guess in terms of the, the whole thing. I mean, I, I, I would imagine, because I've not shot a, a wedding, but I would imagine you don't get the luxury of a lot of time to, to sit around contemplating how the light works and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, there, there's definitely an element of got to get these shots in the bag, um, just need to, you know, and that's, I think we talked about it previously, you know, that my ratio of digital to analog obviously is something that I would I would much prefer to wait towards analog um but uh I currently am I'm not able to do that it is again it's to do with time because it's such such a high pressured day in terms of time that you have um, such a little window in which you can actually get those those analog shots um I tend to do it for obviously maybe the like 20 minutes half an hour um when you actually just could perhaps get the bride and groom or or the couple whoever they are on on their own you know you can actually go okay I might take let's say 50 digital shots and then I've got my three or four analog cameras that I'll get out and, and we'll just do a few little moments that are really nice at that point um but you're right. You don't. You just don't have the time to to be constantly um, thinking about those. So I suppose the practice that you've done over the years, over you know the months and years and what have you, of going, this is my formula. This is an aid formula. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like conversation background subject, and you can just bang those shots out because because it's that split second. You don't even really need to think about it um it's it's more of a feeling i suppose for me it's it's a it's an actual feeling it's like yeah that's going to work even if i mean especially if you're on digital you can take three or four of a very similar point in time um that you might go oh do you know what that's not going to work but actually if i just shift around onto my right foot instead of my left leg which has now gone to sleep (laughs) (laughs) this ridiculous position for so long as well you know sometimes just doing that can can really help as well um uh but yes i think uh that in terms of composition and just your questions about that um before i found that something as simple in a workshop as saying to somebody you know you don't have to shoot at five foot six or whatever, you know, off the ground. It literally is a case of, okay, in digital, you can shoot however much you like, obviously. Um, 
But if you just crouch down or if you stand on a chair or if you, you know, you take a step, two steps to the left or two steps to the right and then just look at how that changes it rather than pressing the shutter, it, that's the kind of thing that I start to try and make people realise that they, they can still frame it with their eyes. <laughs> they can still frame the viewfinder. They don't have to just shoot it and then pray and hope you know, for afterwards, you, you, you don't have to press that shutter until you're ready, you know? And yeah. I think I think that's quite a um, an interesting and sometimes can be a little bit of a difficult step to take to go, oh, yeah, actually, rather than taking that photo now, yeah, maybe I do just sit on the bench for five minutes and wait for a few people to walk past and we'll see how many people come into shot. And then oh, there's somebody with a bike. Okay, I'm going to get the shot of the person with the bike and I'll sit here and I'll wait for 30 seconds till they walk into my frame. There we go you know so yeah, that's 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 nice i think that's that's good that you challenge people in that way i i've i've learned that um at least the up and down bit of it um mm. because through through having young children because young yeah. children if you take a photograph at five foot six either they're not in it yeah. <laughs> or you've got to or you're taking a photograph at the top of their head <laughs> there's something to be said for shooting from a child's eye view just just to try it it's just something different as well it gets you out of your comfort zone it's um uh it's like because well, i play the violin as well um and it's a bit like i remember my teacher saying to me okay you need to be able to play, you need to be able to play this violin walking down a flight of stairs lying down on a bed lying on the floor and still be able to play the violin basically it was it was about again getting yourself out of the comfort zone and saying right I'm going to do something really bizarre like lying on my back on the floor but still play a violin just to see how it feels and whether that's something that you you feel comfortable with or is it really weird and you know uh, luckily there weren't other people watching <laughs> <laughs> do you not do that on stage then with the band I don't do that on stage anymore <laughs> um yeah there's been some interesting things on stage but no not that um but yeah it it was um, it was good practice to go, okay, well, I did it. Maybe it was something that I didn't enjoy. I won't do it again, but at least I gave it a go, you know, and, uh, and it meant that I was more confident in the fact that I could play in any situation, you know, and I think that was the, that was the whole point of the exercise. Okay. Do you know what? That's a, a, a really nice, uh, you know, playing that back to photography, that's a really nice summary, I think, of what I was trying to get to with this conversation, which is that actually I do have a process, but sometimes you need to use the process. Sometimes you need to break yourself out of the process. And, you, you, you know, sometimes you've got to, got to be brave yeah. <laughs> or foolish <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. Yeah, I think that's what we are around as photographers, Okay, well, here we go, second week in a row, and we are going to share some emails that we have received. Uh, you know, sunny16podcast at gmail.com is quickly becoming a fairly busy email account, and we're very grateful. Thank you very much. Uh, even for this first one, which is going to make me personally look a little bit foolish, but we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, there's, there's a couple of things, actually, that uh, while I think about it, that, that it would be great if... Uh, everybody that listens to the podcast can do i'm guessing most of you have already subscribed to the podcast but actually if you haven't uh, we'd be really really grateful if you did 
Um, and uh, if I channel my inner Graham for a, a moment, um, it would be also great if you could give us a rating and or uh, a review on iTunes to help us be more visible. But, you know, thirdly, after those two, um, sending us emails is awesome. Gives us a chance to, to have some longer messages from you and to uh, get to, you know, get, get uh, a little bit of conversational uh, to and fro from it as well. So here we go with the first one. This is uh, an email from the address londoncameraproject at gmail.com. Uh, and it's signed off uh, at, the, at the bottom of the email, Robert in London. Now, those two things are important because we owe Robert a bit of a correctional apology. I'll read the email. I seriously love your podcasts. I'm up to date with all of them. The one with Justin was so fun and informative, and the previous one, episode 48, had some really great tips, especially regarding shooting film with a flash. All was going well until one hour, one minute, ten seconds, when you mentioned Sandeep and his Nikon F6, which is apparently what all the pros use. Well, he might use one of those, but he's not the London Camera Project, all right? I am, so get it right. <laughs> Apart from that, great show. I can't wait to make my own pinhole camera now. Keep it coming. Robert in London. Well, um, thank you, Robert. Um, and sorry. Um, and uh, I guess the official correction that I owe all our listeners is that um, I got the Instagram handles wrong when I mentioned Sandeep uh, last week. Um, I had mistakenly referred to him as London Camera Project when what I should have referred to him as on his Instagram handle filmphotography.london. So uh, apologies to Robert, apologies to Sandeep, um, and uh, you know, happy to be corrected. Um, I do tend to make things up as we go along in this podcast. <laughs> Uh, so it's probably a good job that people write in to correct me. Okay, that's one. That's that's email number one. Email number one of three. I'm reasonably sure that that's the only uh, one where uh, I've done something, uh, you know, actively done something wrong. But we'll see as we get through through the other the other two. Okay. Am I going to get blamed now, Aid? <laughs> You've got sorry. Am I going to get the blame now because Graham's not here to have, have the blame put on him? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, this is uh, an email from Zach Ribbing, who we've mentioned on the podcast before. Hi, Zach. Uh, thanks for your email. Well, I say thanks. Let's read it first, shall we? It says, guys, uh, thanks for sharing my email on the show. You asked how I was achieving a pinhole of 0.2 millimeters. Uh, we did, actually. That, that's a, a pretty small uh, uh, pinhole. Even the Ondu only has a 0.3 millimeter. Uh, so it's quite uh, quite a bit smaller. Well, I do it with the very drill bits you may have been cursing. Oh, this was Graham cursing against it, um, uh, some bits that he bought. Uh, yes, they are very easy to break. Uh, luckily, the set I got included two of each size bit. Ah, you see, I also have the same issue with this. Um, I, I was listening, obviously, last week, um, and when Graham mentioned about he, he'd blasted through a set of the, the very fine drill bits, and I was feeling the pain because, yes, I'd had the same issue. Ah, okay. So it's, it's a common thread then because Zach says, I too broke one right off the bat. Realising my fault, I changed my tactics and haven't broken one since. Oh, this could be some expert advice coming here, couldn't it? Okay. What I do... What I do is drill my pinhole over a piece of wood that has a hole in it. 
The void under the drilled hole allows the bit to be free when it goes through, so any subsequent movements after you drill through won't snap off the bit. Also, yeah. drilling slow and not applying too much pressure, pressure will save the bits as well. Mm, yes, I like that idea. Actually, using using the hole underneath makes obviously makes perfect sense because it it's got less um, uh, less friction, less um, other things to vibrate up against and uh, and snap the bit. So that does make sense, absolutely. Okay, well, I will make sure to let Graham know uh, that he needs to actually listen to the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> to get the advice. Actually, to be fair, listen, Graham listens to them every week before they get published to make sure that we haven't made any editing errors. So, uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, uh, much more important that he listens this week. Okay, cool. So uh, the email from Zach goes on. Uh, oh, something for me now. Aid, the advice about lighting and flash was great. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I don't, I too don't do much with lighting, but you may be planting a seed of change. Oh, yeah, de definitely do it, Zach. Um, you, uh, regardless of how you do it, just start with a torch um, and work your way from uh, from there based upon what you like. Uh, take care, guys. Looking forward to hearing some normal camera talk. Yeah, we do need to do that. Uh, not that I haven't enjoyed the fun topics lately. It's been great. Uh, did I ask ever ask you guys what Bronica cameras you're using? I love my Bronica GS1. It makes photography fun. Until next time, Zach. Okay, well, Zach, thanks for the email. Um, I can answer that Bronica question, certainly. Uh, I have an ETRSI, so that's the, the 645... Uh, um, uh, system camera SLR and uh, Graham has a version of the same camera I think his is the ETRS rather than I um, uh, so we both have very very similar cameras actually um, and yeah I, I love it um, I don't use it as often as I should uh, mostly because I'm too lazy to carry it around all the time uh, but it's great do you have a, a, a medium format SLR that you use Rachel? Um do I? Sorry. The, sorry. Um, I was I was just enjoying the email conversation. Um, I, I've got quite were a few. You, were you listening to the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you know you're hosting this week, don't you? No, I was, I was just busy sitting here going, oh, yeah, enjoying the podcast and completely forgetting that I'm supposed to be talking as well. <laughs> um, uh, I might have. <laughs> I don't have one to hand that I know about. I... As I may, may have alluded to earlier, I do tend to see lots of old cameras and rescue them. Um, and then they go into big boxes upstairs that at some point need to be sorted through. So um, I have the ones out that I know work. Um, and then there's a, there's the sort of like the next level of <laughs> collection of cameras, shall we say. <laughs> um, so there may be one upstairs that, I, that I've, I'm forgetting currently. Um, but yes, yeah, so in terms of your Bronica and uh, and what have you, um, obviously you you love your Bronica. Is there, is there are there any others that you would recommend for somebody who uses something like that who can't perhaps get hold of that particular model? Well, there I mean there there are uh, a, a range of choices that you can make. I mean I I won my Bronica on eBay I, I uh, by putting in on several cameras a series of what I can only describe as piss take bids. Um, uh, you know I'd set myself a limit I was prepared to pay and I bid against several and one of them finally I won. So that so that was good. So that was pretty affordable. I got a good kit for two hundred and fifty quid, which you know is some you might say is a, is a, f a fair amount of money for. Uh, uh, an old second-hand film camera um, but the the uh, 
uh, the Bronica kits and the medium format kits tend to be more expensive than 35 mil. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the top end, you yeah. could go with a Hasselblad, of course. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think you know I don't have one myself. I know people who do, and I know others that have shot them and say that they're they're awesome. Um, so you know, that, I think that's probably the um, uh, the money, not a limiting factor choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you know, th then there's a range. There's a range of Pentax six four fives, and Mamiya make a, a whole range of different stuff. And yeah. if you're into range finders, of course, the, there's a lot of Fuji range finders out there as well as the Bronica range finder. But the Fuji range finders have a a, a great uh, reputation as well. So, um, you know, I think there's lots of really really good choices. I take Zach's point actually on board. Yeah, we it is it is um, overdue for us to do a show that includes talking about um uh you know much higher quality cameras not not so much in we've done a lot recently on alternative processes and on alternative camera types and stuff like that which is which we find really interesting but it's yeah we need to circle back around to some of the uh uh the stuff that's that's sharp and easy to use <laughs> yeah absolutely um i've i've um just been using my little um uh, Voigtlander Vito 2 uh, this week actually just put a couple of little test rolls through that obviously it's a completely different camera from the ones you were discussing with the Bronica etc but um, I, I love it it's such a such a good little camera I'm really chuffed with that and I found that um, for Fiverr in uh, in a charity shop in Langholm actually um, had, hadn't used one like that before um, and it's, it's a perfect little size for me and it's just one that I know that I'm going to have with me the whole time you know um one of those that's just going to be in the bag and it's even got the you know the original little filter as well in its own little pocket attached to the strap all right, um, all right cool which is lovely the little the little yellow filter um which will hopefully bring out the clouds let's say in the blue sky and that kind of thing so if i add that onto the front that um if i'm shooting black and white obviously that should make the the clouds pop and give me a little bit of separation between the two oh just very quickly, while I think about it, um, going back to printing and in the dark room, if you get to the point where you are using your using an enlarger to actually put negatives in, you know you can get filters for that. So, um, in terms of your love of harsh contrast and light and what have you, you can add filters in the dark room to literally make it more or less contrasty, shall we say? Ah, okay. So that's that, that's definitely a way to win aid over i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay all right thank you yeah so um yeah plenty plenty to think about that oh, yeah we'll, we'll we'll come back to that i mean i i uh actually one of the reasons i do like the bronica that i've i've chosen the bronica that i have is is it become it comes with a um uh, an automatic exposure meter uh so i can shoot in aperture priority so uh, in terms of talking about normal cameras, well, I don't know if a Bronica counts as normal because it's medium format, but um, uh, it, it's, as, it's pretty much as close to a, a 35mm SLR as you can get in uh, in medium format, you know, in terms of the functionality that it has as well. So, um, yeah, okay, brilliant. Thanks for your email, Zach. Um, and yes, as you say yourself, until next time. Right, on to email number three. Um, uh, this is from uh, Tim Massey, uh, who uh, our Instagram handle is at CTW photo. Uh, he says, hey, Graham. Well, OK, you partially right there. Um, I hope all is well. Uh, I just listened to episode 48 and I had a couple of thoughts about some things. 
first, number one, loved Justin Quinnell. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> I loved his quick and understated wit. <laughs> did you did you happen to catch that episode, Rachel? Oh, I did. Yes, I absolutely loved it. Justin's great. Um, I have his book upstairs. I use it all the time. You know, um, it's uh, it, it wasn't one I hadn't actually realised it was that Justin because I just sort of gone, oh, yeah, and then realised that that was, uh, that was him. So it was, it was perfect timing as well, getting him on the show for that. Um, lots of what he said was uh, rang very true, obviously, for miss, myself as well. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. He's, uh, he's got a great sense of humour, too yes he does doesn't he yeah we, we, we enjoyed having him on the show right i'm going to skip over tim's second point it goes to his third point and i'll come back to the second one so his point number three something to try when requesting a hand check at an airport keep one or two sacrificial rolls of delta 3200 and claim that you intend to use the other film above 800 all right okay so this goes back, this harks back to the conversation about traveling with film and, you know, just, just how sensitive is film and, and what are the issues? Um, uh, uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yes, thanks, Tim. Uh, that, that's a good tip. I guess if you go through, you know, yeah, with 32, Delta 3200, they're going to have to take that a little bit more seriously than Ektar 100. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be honest, I've, I've never traveled with that fast film, you know, so... To be honest, I I've never come across a an issue. Uh, I think Graham said the same last week, but obviously I know that people have. Um, but I've never actually real like actually had an issue myself with it going through an X-ray machine. I don't know if you have aid. Um, I've never suffered from any of the symptoms uh, of X-rays. You know, uh, people say that you get banding on the film and things like that. Um, uh, I, I've never seen it happen. Um, I have. Uh, I travelled with. Uh, I've travelled with two hundred speed film with four hundred speed film. Um, I've got a sacrificial roll of of Tri-X at the moment in my fridge, which has been through at least two airport scanners. I'm probably going to put it through another two before I scan it, uh, before I use it and shoot it. Because if you if you can get away with four trips with a speed four hundred speed of film, um, you know, actually that 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 will probably you know give you enough yeah. insight into you know the the cumulative effects of x-ray to to make some decisions about how you personally want to travel i guess to be honest um i was less worried about my um film getting um uh, hand checked than uh, the fact that um my father-in-law had um some <laughs> some of my old cyanide apparently it got dripped on his <laughs> when he was going through the airport and they got, he got stopped <laughs> oh no Unsurprisingly, um, yeah, we realised that he was like, well, there's no other reason, and we realised that some of the um, uh, the chemicals from my <laughs> from my cyanotypes he'd obviously carried in his bag at some point, and <laughs> a little bit of it had dripped. <laughs> oh right. So, yeah. So yeah, so don't do that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. yes, don't carry cyanide through airports. Right? Good life, good, good life rule there. Yeah. Absolutely, good life rule. <laughs> okay, so we'll skip back to to uh, Tim's second point. Uh, number two, uh, could you get A to discuss how to use a flash meter? Uh, discussing the intricacies of using flash sync cables, wireless remotes, etc. Okay, yeah, well, absolutely, we can discuss that. Uh, Rach, do you want to go first with this one? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so 
uh, to be to be totally honest, I don't really tend to use flash very often with my uh, analog. Anyway, um, I've got um, an old eighties uh, Mertz. You know, it's it's a huge flash um, with a bit of a fill as well, which is quite nice. You've got the main flash and the fill, and it's on the um, the bar, which I use perhaps with my um, my TLR, my roller cord. Um, so that's a nice way of just capturing um, a nice evenly lit. Um, portrait in a in a situation where you really just need to bring some light to that. So um, I took that along to um, Winston Churchill's bunker because uh, I was there thinking, how on earth am I going to shoot in a bunker? There are literally no lights, and it was one of the most difficult situations ever. Um, obviously, wanted to capture the the background, wanted to capture um, people in the very simplest way to go okay nice and quick i can actually shoot some some stills some uh, some portraits so i just used it for that really but in in general terms i i hardly ever use flash it's it's um something that i've been really enjoying listening to yourself talk about um aid actually because um i'm picking up loads of bits of advice myself on this um and i'd love to come do a little workshop with you at some point maybe that's something we can figure out um yeah but, so that sounds good yeah definitely so good i'd love to do that um and i've already had a few ideas about that maybe we'll maybe come on to that at some other point um but uh the thing i was going to ask about that um is that i've got to go and shoot some puppets <laughs> um they are being puppeteered i suppose um at night and um it's they're also going to be used as lanterns themselves so there are going to be lights inside the puppets so it's going to be interesting to try and figure out what kind of lighting i should use in order to be able to get those shots hmm. okay Is all right any- well I, i'll try i'll try and answer tim's question with that kind of thing in mind then yeah we'll see, see how it goes okay so um, first of all, so, you know, a little bit of technical stuff, first of all, on, on uh, a flash meter. Um, the, the the way that I learned this um, was, uh, apart from just simply playing, um, is that uh, when you think about uh, the exposure for a normal photograph, you've got three variables. You've got your aperture, your shutter speed and your film speed or your ISO if you're shooting digital and uh, and that exposure triangle you balance to get the right exposure um, with flash you actually in some ways it's actually simpler because you only have to worry about the aperture and the film speed uh, the reason for that is that um, the flash the duration of the flash is going to be far quicker than your shutter speed so you know it could be you know uh, a thousandth of a second or so. So so let's say you've got a, a a lovely old film camera and it has a sync speed of uh, well anything up to a uh, I suppose a two hundred fiftieth. My Nikon's from the mid eighties. They they sync at a two fiftieth. Uh, my Bronica because it's got a leaf shutter in the lenses uh, will actually sync at a five hundredth. It'll sync at any shutter speed and the five hundredth is its is its top shutter speed. But none of those are going to worry a flash because the flash duration is going to be far shorter than that so actually the only thing you have to worry about for exposure is how much light is going to get through the lens Mm -hmm. um, and and how the film is going to be sensitive to that Uh, so your aperture controls effectively how much light gets into the camera and and the film controls what how, how the camera responds to that 
So, um, with a flash meter, you don't have to worry about shutter speed. Um, what you would do is you would uh, set up uh, your scene and uh, you would uh, do a, a test flash uh, with the flash meter facing the camera um, in front of your subject. So if you let's say you have a, a, you know, a sort of a fairly straightforward lighting setup where you're taking a portrait of somebody and you have a light that's sort of off 45 degrees from the camera axis. Um, you would then, you know, uh, typically you would meter uh, in front of the, the subject's face um, uh, so that you are the right distance from the light and you would meter with the, the meter facing towards the lens of the camera uh, so that, that then the meter gets the opportunity to, to calculate it based on the light hitting it at an angle rather than, rather than straight on. Sure, yeah. Uh, and you know, so so you know, that gives you the the best look at at, at how um, how the light will impact. It will eventually reflect into into the camera itself. Um, so how I tend to do that is that I will do my I, I will get my setup. I will position my subject, and often actually uh, I get them to hold uh, the the light trigger and and the light meter as well, um, or just the light trigger, especially if it's children. So if you're taking flash photograph photographs of children and you want them to stay put, um, give them the trigger for the light. Um, it, it'll cost you some charge in your rechargeable batteries, so make sure you take some spares. <laughs> but. <laughs> because they they will want to go nuts with it but that's part of the process with taking photographs of children um as i'm sure you well know <laughs> that's part of the fun isn't it it is know? part of the it is part of the fun so um uh i so uh what i do set it set it up um set the the flash meter um to the exposure that you expect to have on your camera so um for for example um i i often shoot at a, uh, at a 125th of a second with flash um, that is uh, enough to uh, stop, yeah, to, to reasonably stop the motion in, in people who are standing still to be photographed. Um, it's not going to uh, it's not going to tax any of the signal path for the radios. You know, you're not going to try and push it right to the edge where you might end up with a little bit of latency in the system. So I, I often stay, uh, you know, one shutter speed slower than the maximum that my camera can shoot at. Okay. gives time for the radios to work um, and then uh, you know, so set the flash meter up press the button the flash meter will then be waiting then you need to just trigger the flash and that will give you an exposure reading uh, the number that you're really interested in because you'll have set the ISO and you'll have set the shutter speed because the, in, the, the number you're really interested in is the aperture that it generates um, and then all you need to do is set the aperture on your camera to whatever the flash meter tells you it is and you should have a decent flash exposure super you make it sound so simple <laughs> well i it it's it, so you know you make you make um you know development and cyanotypes and printing sound simple <laughs> you know it's what you know isn't it you know, so yeah so you you were talking earlier about you know practice and uh, i mean i think we were talking about composition at the time but you were talking about practice and familiarity and repeatable processes you know this for me is something that i have practiced quite a lot yeah. And so for me, it is it is a, a repeatable process, and I, it, it's it's something that's quite in my comfort area these days. Um, so so it, it's it, that's that's the basic process. Uh, Tim also asks about using flash sync cables, wireless remotes, etc. Um, I don't tend to use cables. Um, cables should be fine. Um, you know, uh, older film cameras often maybe have a PC sync port rather than a hot shoe. 
um, you know, uh, that does exactly the same job as the hot shoe. Um, it's often a, a good uh, thing to do to read the manual for your camera. Um, and so at this read point, you know, oh, well, yes. So, <laughs> so this is um, uh, this is where actually we haven't done this for a while, but we haven't done a shout out to Mike Butkus in the States who runs a man, uh, who runs a website that has uh, he, he owns a website that basically is a library of scanned camera manuals for really old cameras um it is it, it is a public service genuinely a a public service so this, so, so his name is mike butkus and his website is www.butkus.org and butkus is b u t k u s right this is an awesome awesome resource for film photographers yeah i i don't think i've ever been on to this website looking for a camera manual and it not be there um wow. uh, you know it, it he yeah i'm just looking at this now right he, he, it the the brand it, the brands are listed from agfa to zorky <laughs> uh, and include yeah along the way so uh, Voigt, voigtlander what was that voigtlander you had you were talking about yeah. a veto two Veto two, yeah. Veto two. Is it a veto? Uh, veto two or a veto two A? I think it's a two. Okay, veto two. Voigtlander veto automatic. Here we go. A PDF file of the original manual. Oh, it looks quite an old-fashioned one. Mm, so, um, you can go to butkus.org and you can look up your camera and you can download a pdf file of the original manufacturer's manual that would have come with that camera and you can do that for free but that would be horribly rude <laughs> yeah. yeah of course it would yeah yes. isn't that an amazing resource that's wonderful it is it, it, it's an astonishing resource it re it really is um and uh you know the the fact that you know that mike provides this uh you know for free um is, is astonishing um there is a button on there uh that says donate on it and i would encourage everybody to donate um, i personally have uh in the past but i i've got uh i think yeah my main nikon 35 mil slrs i've got the manual for that um you know it, uh, and a number of other uh film cameras so so I, i've certainly donated to mike uh, and i would encourage everybody else to do the the, the same i think he asks for about ten dollars or something like that you know um you know pretty soon we'll be paying that for a pint in a pub in london it's <laughs> <laughs> not quite but almost Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah maybe okay so um so uh the the reason i mentioned that is, is that um that'll give you uh some insight uh into uh just exactly how to operate your camera for flash um and you know what its sync speed is if you if it's not written on it i mean some some cameras have a a, a visual cue on the shutter speed dial uh the the you know like maybe an x beside it or the the shutter speed is in a different color and that denotes the maximum shutter speed at which the flash can sync um if if you go beyond that shutter speed um you'll find that your flash only lights part of your uh part of your frame depending on what kind of shutter you have um it just means that the uh the shutter isn't open all the way long enough uh for the flash to cover um the the, the whole of the negative 
I could talk at length about that. I shan't because it'll get a bit technical and a bit dull really quickly. Um, wireless remotes then. Um, I use wireless flash. Um, I don't have any uh, cable attached flash. I use a cheap and cheerful Chinese brand called Yongnuo, who I'm sure we must have mentioned before. Uh, you can get a, a radio trigger and a flash with the radio in it. I think the triggers are about 30 quid and the flashes are about 50 quid. They change price occasionally depending on the exchange rate. Uh, you can buy them reliably on eBay. You can buy them reliably on Amazon. Um, and uh, that means that you can put the flash wherever you like. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, off-camera flash definitely being much more delightful when you see the outcome than on-camera yeah. flash. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, with what with what I'm going to be sh shooting, um, would you suggest continuous light or flash? Do you think would be the way to go? So, it, it, this. Um, Depend, depends on how you want to shoot it. I mean, it, so the the benefit of continuous light, of course, is you can see what's happening. The challenge that you're going to have if these puppets are also lanterns is that you're going to want to blend the ambient light with the flash. Yeah. Or with the artificial light. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what colour these things are um, or if it's going to be a, a you know, completely dark uh environment that they're in um if they were in a in a you know a very dark environment um and uh, you know maybe they're because they're behind a black curtain because you've got to hide the puppeteer or something like that uh, one thing you might try doing is lighting the background because if there's if they are actually projecting light themselves because they are lanterns uh, you might just be wanting to use your lights to give a little bit of context sure they're actually going to be on the backs of people out in the street. God, blimey, no, you don't do things by halves, do you? No, 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 I don't. And I'm giving you a big challenge here, I realise, Aid. So um, maybe that's one to think about. If you want to have a think about it and perhaps come back to me, I, I would fully appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, that's that's OK. So, the, so um, I, the the concept of lighting them from behind doesn't change, but clearly you may not be able to set the, uh, keep them still, I guess, if they're in the street. So I, I think this is one of those ones where the process for looking at the light and looking at the backgrounds come in. Because so I think what you're going to need is um, some light in the background, like street light or something like that, to provide some separation between the puppets and 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 yeah, uh, uh, the background. Yeah. Well, this is kind of why I was thinking maybe continuous light. Maybe I could have it on a stand somewhere off camera, basically, just to give some extra extra light, shall we say. <laughs> Uh, to yes. the scene yes. um, uh, yeah a friend or a yeah, uh, yeah. a husband or something <laughs> or somebody <laughs> grab somebody off the street this is what usually happens here hold this <laughs> so that I mean that 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 work that genuinely is probably the best way of doing it um, the old joke of the voice activated light stand um, <laughs> you know and uh, yeah uh, having a uh, a continuous light on the end of a long stick um, and somebody to move it around for you at will um, that that would be um, that that would work really really well um, that also gives you the opportunity if you're shooting film you, you can see what it looks like um, you don't have to worry about keeping the light a standard distance from the subject yeah. so if you've metered that you know that you've got to shoot a f4 um, uh, and when the light is six feet away from the subject um, yeah. that that can be a constraint when when yeah. things are moving um you one of the ways to get around that is to use continuous light um and a camera that can shoot aperture priority uh, okay. 
uh, or, or actually it doesn't have to be aperture priority sorry it could be any kind of automatic exposure okay because uh, you know, then you're not relying on um, you know having to do a calculation, having to think about whether you're close enough or too far away with the light and things like that. You, you've got a lot more flexibility. Um, and the other thing is, is that a simple LED light is actually a lot less light than a flash. And so, when you're trying to blend ambient light, you wouldn't want to overpower the light inside the lantern. Yeah, that's so, the other. Yeah, yeah, you want a fill light. You, you want a light that's going to give a little bit of detail in the puppet itself and maybe the puppeteer um, yeah. uh, uh, and then like the light of the puppet, uh, the lantern itself shine through. Yeah. That's a really challenging one. I know. <laughs> yes. Hence, uh, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I, I think I might get a chance to do a little bit of um, a rehearsal with them in the rehearsal space. So I'm going to try a few things out there, um, which is why this has come at a really good time, actually, to have this conversation. And I hope it's not too boring for the listeners. It's it's um, you never know what kind of challenges we may end up in, I suppose. So uh, so it's been really good. Thank you very much for uh, for covering that for me. No, that, that's fine. No. So so I would probably get uh, a decent, uh, yeah, a decent brightness of LED light. Light, put it on the end of a pole and and get get a, a an assistant to help you get it into the right place one of the things that helps is to practice with the assistant as well um so yeah and, and develop a kind of vocabulary if you like it just just to just to help you get into basic positions um yeah you know, uh you know, one of the one of the things that's a, that's a really that that I uh, um I don't get to 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 shoot with assistants in in the the professional sense but when we're, when there's friends out and about um you know watching the 45 angles is, is a good one so if you imagine that you want to be you know just as a starting position if you've if you're pointing your camera at your subject you want your you know if you have your light 45 degrees off axis and then actually if it's a person you're trying to light it from slightly above they're sort of you know 45 degrees above if you can develop some sort of you know command based you know quick command based structure for for talking to each other you can say right okay go over there there's the subject get all the 45s on that for me yeah. um that gives you a you know a, and if if your voice activated light stand actually un- you know understands what that means because you've pre-agreed it um, then you you've got a, a far greater chance of, of moving quickly and and getting good light quickly or at least you know basic light quickly yeah. it also makes it sound like you know what you're doing doesn't it get all the 45s <laughs> <laughs> so everybody else thinks oh they know what they're talking about <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it, it, or even if you do yeah i mean you don't you don't even need it to be voice here if you just practice it just say look yeah if i say to you that's the next subject just do this go go to you know um you know well for some reason i'm now thinking about my daughter and her ballet classes and you know the various different you know um, first position and second position and stuff like that as long as you've got a way of working that you've rehearsed between two of you uh you yeah you, know, you as the photographer and a friend uh, as the lighting person then uh, you'll have a, a much better chance. If they end up pointing the light in the wrong direction up people's nostrils and things like that, then you're not going to get much in the way of photographs. No, that is that is true. We'll try not to get those shots. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope that was um, helpful for the email uh, emailer as well. Yeah, well, uh, uh, yes. Well, Tim, Tim, let us know whether that's helpful or not. I'm yeah, happy to talk more about it. Uh, <laughs> if that if that little bit there uh, raises more questions and it resolves, then <laughs> send us another email and we'll talk about it again. <laughs> Okay, well, that takes us to the end of the emails. Um, So uh, we'll take a a quick break and we'll come back with some shout outs. Great. Great.
Right, well, uh, time for, as we do every week, uh, some shout-outs. Um, although, actually, this week we're just going to focus on one. Uh, I think it's it's one that's worth talking through a, a little bit because there's, there's a whole rich body of work here. But this is uh, somebody that Rachel would like to draw all of our attentions to. So, yeah, um, tell us, Rachel. Yeah, so this is um, a lady whose work I came across. I'm not entirely sure where I think it was um, I think it was on Instagram um, and uh, her name is uh, Leah Elm so her her Instagram handle is at Leah L-E-A Elm E-L-M photography um, she's also on Twitter as well and she does she's as I said she's got a whole host of sort of blog posts and what have you and there was one that I saw that she posted on Twitter earlier today <clears throat> which caught my eye as well um, and it was about failure in film um and from reading through some of her previous blog posts um quite a lot of it makes me feel you know we've got quite a few of the same views on it i suppose as well um and there's just some lovely thoughts on it and that obviously that failure doesn't actually necessarily mean failure sometimes she says sometimes we don't get the outcome we wanted but we get something else that we can keep and take with us even if it's not what we hoped for. Um, and she says, um, I know the photographs were not my only or biggest disappointment recently, but they're a nice reminder that failed attempts at achieving something in life are never wasted. We simply develop from the negatives. That um, that nice sort of um, little phrase. It does help us sometimes think, okay, it didn't turn out quite as we were hoping for, but there's actually still some real beauty in that. And, uh, and that's really what I try to do as well. Uh, I think it's important to not lose sight of that sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. As somebody who regularly has photographic failures, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, even when the the, you know, the unintended stuff work, works well, uh, it goes back to what I was saying earlier on, actually, about sort of relaxing into using a Holger and, and not being so much in control of things. You know, when it comes to uh, to, to photography, um, I, I think it's worth. So, so I, I'm looking at this as well. I mean, uh, yeah, thank you for bringing it to our attention. I'd probably say, um, what do I? What, first, first thought is, uh, do follow the web link uh, from the Instagram account. Because uh, Leah only has 21 photographs in her Instagram account. But if you go to leahelm.com, her website, she, uh, she's she got quite a, a rich blog uh, there. All sorts of different types of, of photography and thoughts that she's recorded. Uh, I even found one. I just clicked on the category for London because I spent a lot of my time in London. And she's uh, she's got a blog post there from a church that I've spoken about and, and posted photos about. A church called St Dunstan in the East, uh, which is uh, just behind the old Billingsgate fish market in the city of london and uh yeah it's awesome she's made it look better than i could <laughs> it's a fabulous looking place and it's not one that i've come across actually we i was saying um before wasn't i that we've got a, a bombed out church in liverpool as well and um that it's really nice seeing this one um because of obviously the uh juxtaposition between you know the the london uh, modern buildings and this sort of outdoor indoor outdoor garden that's kind of been left with nature to take over and you know it's a photographer's paradise really well for me definitely oh you know. it is I've, I've always wanted to do a photo shoot yeah. there I haven't done it yet I've often taken photos there um, but uh, yeah because sort of people sitting you know uh, having their lunch or, or, or breakfast actually because I often walk through there first thing in the morning um, and uh, yeah, I want to come back and do a proper shoot there. I and mean, it, it, it does have the benefit actually of being maintained by the city as a proper city garden. So you know, it is a really, really nice place, very picturesque. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I guess the I guess the the shout out isn't to St Dunstan's Church. <laughs> the shout out is to Leah. So I yeah, recommend that everybody follow follow the Instagram link or the link from the Instagram account out to the uh, the website and uh, you know check out the uh, things about failures, uh, the the recent post uh, and other things as as well. Yeah, there's some lovely stuff there. Thanks, Ray. Okay, right. Well, uh, that brings us pretty much to uh, the end of the show. I, I did wonder, you know, with a sort of a wobbly bottom lip moment, whether I'd actually get through a show without Graham. I'm happy to report it's been an absolute breeze. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really nice to chat with you, Aid. And um, yes, obviously, um, hope hope everything's okay with uh, with Graham and. Uh, it's not been too much of a, of a trial having me here uh, covering for him today. <laughs> no, it's not been a trial. It's been an absolute joy. Uh, Graham uh, should be back next week. Uh, we know of no reason at the moment why he should not be available for next week. Uh, listeners, make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> and uh, as ever, of course, uh, you can get in touch with the Sunny 16 podcast in all sorts of delightful ways across the internet. Uh, but Rachel, uh, where would you like people at the moment to go and see some of your work? Oh, uh, thanks very much. That would be great. Um, my website is littlevintagephotography.co.uk and I'm also on Instagram as the same um, and on Twitter as R.E. Bruce. Great. Uh, yeah, so that um, I, I'm loving your little vintage photography website, actually. I, I keep going back to it and just seeing little extra bits and bobs. There's a lot of oh. detail in some of the photos on it. And things. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. It's um it's a work in progress as these all these sorts of things always are and uh, it just takes time to get you know the work up there unfortunately I'm uh, I'm quite bad at, at getting getting the bits of work up there but when they're up there I then feel like oh yeah that's actually quite good it looks quite nice so uh, thank you um feedback is always always most welcome and uh, yeah that that would be great thank you okay great well and listeners if you would like to get in touch with Graham or I uh, we are at sunny 16 podcast uh you can get us there on instagram twitter and uh at our Flickr group uh you can of course email us at sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com and we're grateful for the uh the recent increase in emails the more the merrier actually uh we'd like to say thank you every week to chris at pixelatedphotographer.com uh, for hosting the podcast and and to Bill for the show notes. Uh, given that Graham's not here, we don't. I need to ask him the the weekly embarrassing question about when he's going to post some more show notes that Bill has created. And of course, we like to say thank you for music every week. And as you'll no doubt have noticed by now, actually the music we're using this week is slightly different, and uh, it's music made by Rachel uh, and her band. So Rachel. Um, who should we be thanking and where can we where can people find more out about the music? Oh, thank you very much, Aid. Yes, um my band is called Roja, which is R-O-J-A. And our most recent album is Promises I Should Have Kept. So um if you just Google that for on Amazon or iTunes, then we should come up, hopefully. That would be that would be great. Excellent. And thank you very much for allowing us to use the music for this episode of the podcast. You're most welcome. The band will be very pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Um, We will be back with you next week and uh, with, with, well, with more Sunny 16 podcast. Goodbye. Bye.